Good morning, my fellow creatives, and a happy Wednesday to you, though I must say it is a bittersweet Wednesday, for it is the last week of Private Eye July. No! I may just continue reading mysteries for a bit. I miss looking at them, and there's so many unique ones out there. It could be really fun to explore. Um, but uh, regardless, what I wanted to do today was uh, this is going to be a completely cold, I haven't even cracked open the page yet, uh, cover yet, however you want to put it. Uh, I wanted to take a look at an author I have written about very often, and yet I have never read this particular character that she has written. Uh, Agatha Christie, I have written about her quite often on my website, Jean Lee's World. And I've, I've had a lot of fun uh, critiquing um, both her awesome stories and the ones that don't quite work out, uh, some of her writing choices and things. And it's been a lot of fun to look at that. But I've always been doing it with her Poirot novels, or Poirot, however you pronounce it. Uh, and my husband, who is always one to, if he likes one thing an artist has done, he will check out all the things that artist has done. And so he's never understood when I will read Poirot novels and I've never read a Miss Marple. And he's never understood it. And he'll ask me time and again, have you ever even picked up a Miss Marple story? But you're always reading the Poirot. Why aren't you trying Miss Marple out? And usually my quip would be, well, that's what Murder, She Wrote is for. Because <laughs> when I was a kid, that was one of my favorite shows, was watching Angela Lansbury uh, in the show Murder, She Wrote. That was on through the 80s, a little bit into the 90s. It wasn't quite working out. Once they get computers and Manhattan involved, it just, pfft, no. Anyway, <laughs> um, but so I kind of had my kindly older lady detective fix that way. <laughs> so reading Miss Marple just felt a little redundant when I was a kid, so I just never bothered. But now, now that I'm a little bit older and a little bit wiser, I guess it's time to try new things, as I often tell my children, and uh, actually open up The Murder at the Vicarage, which, if I recall, and I'm going to double check, yep, came out in 1930. So it's an old tale. And finally, just give it a go. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I like it. Uh, because then, ooh, all these stories I haven't read and I can read them and have fun because one of my favorite things to read on road trips and whatnot is an Agatha Christie story. So I'm, I'm hoping I dig this. But again, that's, that's something to keep in mind as a writer. Because I, I guess as a reader, you expect, well, like, like my husband does, if you like one thing that writer's done, you're bound to like other things that writer has done. And that's why, you know, we often will get, like my husband, get all the things that from a certain writer because we feel comfortable or confident that we're going to dig it. But I know with my experience from Agatha Christie with the Poirot novels, I don't always dig what she does, where something does not work out. And that maybe that's just me being a writer and being picky about that, where it's like, 
I know some of these choices were not made. <laughs> made with a lot of forethought. It was it, when when a story feels slapdash as a writer, it's like, mm, no. So that's why, you know, I'm still coming in with a little bit of skepticism. That I'm not just gonna, oh, it's gonna be great because it's Agatha Christie. No, that's that's not how this goes. Not everything a favorite writer makes is good which is fine i think it would be boring otherwise and and you know everybody's gonna have their duds and i'm actually thankful as a writer that even the bestest of them have their duds because it means it's okay to fail <laughs> as a writer at times it's just not everything's going to be a surefire winner so i'm i, I mean i'm hoping this pans out but I am not going to presume. So let's just crack open the murder at the vicarage and see how this first chapter reads. It is difficult to know quite where to begin the story, but I have fixed my choice on a certain Wednesday at luncheon at the vicarage. The conversation, though in the main irrelevant to the matter, though in the main irrelevant to the matter at hand, yet contained one or two suggestive incidents which influenced later developments. Whoa, whoa, okay. <laughs> it's been a bit since I've had to read <laughs> the older style of, of sentence structure. This is probably, that's probably since that Hobbit, I guess, because with the longer and more windy sentence structures that you can trip on, obviously, as I did, um, but we also have a very informal tone because our narrator is addressing us. Okay, let's see how this goes. I had just finished carving some boiled beef, remarkably tough by the way, and on resuming my seat I remarked in a spirit most unbecoming to my cloth <laughs> that anyone who murdered Colonel Prothero would be doing the world at large a service. Oh! <laughs> Well, now, we are, let's see here, three sentences in, and we've got a priest talking about killing somebody. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's great. No, and being the minister's child that I am, I don't know if others would be like, oh, a priest was saying that. No, I. it's... As a kid whose dad loved reading, you know, had his Dragons of Pern books next to his scripture study books, I, I, I was never surprised when my, you know, if my dad would have ever said something like this, that wouldn't have thrown me off at all. But let's see here how this continues. My young nephew, Dennis, said instantly, that'll be remembered against you when the old boy is found bathed in blood. Mary will give evidence, won't you, Mary? And describe how you brandished the carving knife in a vindictive manner. Mary, who is in service at the vicarage as a stepping stone to better things and higher wages, merely said in a loud business-like voice, Greens, <laughs> thrust a cracked dish at him in a translucent manner. My wife said in a sympathetic voice, Has he been very trying? I did not reply at once, for Mary, setting the greens on the table with a bang, proceeded to thrust a dish of singularly moist and unpleasant dumplings under my nose. I said, no thank you, and she deposited the dish with a clatter on the table and left the room. 
It is a pity that I am such a shocking housekeeper, said my wife with a tinge of genuine regret in her voice. I was inclined to agree with her. My wife's name is Griselda, a highly suitable name for a parson's wife, but there the suitability ends. She is not in the least meek. I've always been of the opinion that a clergyman should be unmarried. Why I should have urged Griselda to marry me at the end of 24 hours acquaintance is a mystery to me. Marriage, I've always held, is a serious affair, to be entered into only after long deliberation and forethought, and suitability of tastes and inclinations is the most important consideration. Griselda is nearly 20 years younger than myself. She is most distractingly pretty and quite incapable of taking anything seriously. She is incompetent in every way and extremely trying to live with. She treats the parish as a kind of huge joke arranged for her amusement. I have endeavored to form her mind and failed. I am more than ever convinced that celibacy is desirable for the clergy. <laughs> I have frequently hinted as much to Griselda, but she has only laughed. My dear, I said, if you would only exercise a little care. Oh, I do sometimes, said Griselda. But on the whole, I think things go worse when I'm trying. I'm evidently not a housekeeper by nature. I find it better to leave things to Mary and just make up my mind to be uncomfortable and have nasty things to eat. <laughs> And what about your husband, my dear? I said reproachfully, and proceeding to follow the example of the devil in quoting scripture for his own ends, I added, she looketh to the ways of her household. Think how lucky you are not to be torn apart by, torn to pieces by lions, said Griselda, quickly interrupting. At the stake! Bad food and lots of dust and dead wasps is really nothing to make a fuss about. And just one moment here. I'm going to probably have to do this in two parts. Just a second. Hi, I'm back. <laughs> Part of me was going to restart this, but then I thought, no, I'm not going to restart this episode. Uh, welcome to part two, because my kids are home for the summer holiday. And so I, I just have to presume these interruptions are going to happen anytime I record until they're back at school. So we'll just keep on moving. Um, I will, as I was reading those first couple of pages of the murder at the vicarage, we clearly have a more informal tone here. Um, Christy has, Agatha Christie has no problems having fun with some humor. The fact that here this, clergy this this clergyman our narrator is still mystified over the fact that 24 hours of knowing griselda and then urging her to marry him and now looking back and just not knowing what on earth he did <laughs> it's a great bit of character building here i mean we're only in two pages and my goodness, we have such a, a clear understanding of the relationship between our narrator and his wife. And in a sense, not so much of his nephew yet. His nephew is about to speak up a little bit more. But also a sense of, um, of this housekeeper who hates what she's doing. <laughs> <laughs> but just we we there's personality here 
there's a clear sense of personality. We're not being told who they are. We're getting it. Because even with the exposition um, of the narrator, uh, I mean, especially that line, I've always been of the opinion that a clergyman should be unmarried. Why I should have urged Griselda to marry me at the end of 24 hours acquaintance is a mystery to me. And we just, we, we get so much personality, even when something is being explained to us, like the marriage, like the narrator's take on what marriage is, and, you know, describing his wife. And it's, it's wonderful to see that the voice of the narrator is sharing the personality, even when technically nothing is happening at that moment. That's tough, but it engages us as a reader and as a writer, it helps us not only do a little bit of world building, like, you know, where we are and, and who we're dealing with, but we're, we're establishing so much characterization, even if something isn't necessarily happening to motivate um, character choices right now. So I, that's, that's pretty cool. Now let's, let's get back into the conversation and um, so Griselda was telling her husband, the narrator, how lucky he is not to be torn to pieces by lions. <laughs> um, and then the nephew Dennis speaks. Uh, and it looks like, they, yes, they are talking about... Oh, here. Let me actually pick up with Griselda with the torn about part, part by lions. Or burned at the stake. Bad food and lots of dust and dead wasps is really nothing to make a fuss about. Tell me more about Colonel Prothero. At any rate, the early Christians were lucky enough not to have church wardens. Oh, so he's a church warden. Yeah. Our church has had some fun with council folk, too. Ugh. Okay, anyway. Pompous old brute, said Dennis. No wonder his first right wife ran away from him. I don't see what else she could do, see, said my wife. <laughs> Griselda, I said sharply, I will not have you speaking in that way. Darling, said my wife affectionately, tell me about him. What was the trouble? Was it Mr. Hawes becking and nodding and crossing himself every other minute? Hawes is our new curate. He has been with us just over three weeks. He has high church views and fasts on Fridays. Colonel Prothero is a great opposer of ritual in any form. Not this time. He did touch on it in passing. No, the whole trouble arose out of Mrs. Price Ridley's wretched pound note. Mrs. Price Ridley is a devout member of my congregation. Attending early service on the anniversary of her son's death, she put a pound note into the offertory bag. Later, reading the amount of the collection posted up, she was pained to observe that one ten-shilling note was the highest item mentioned. She complained to me about it, and I pointed out very reasonably that she must have made a mistake. We're none of us so young as we were, I said, trying to turn it off tactfully, and we must pay the penalty of advancing years. Strangely enough, my words only seemed to incense her further. She said that things had a very odd look, and that she was surprised I didn't think so also. And she flounced away, and I gather, took her troubles to Colonel Prothero. Prothero is the kind of man who enjoys making a fuss on every conceivable occasion. He made a fuss. It is a pity he made it on a Wednesday. I teach in the church day school on Wednesday mornings, a proceeding that causes me acute nervousness and leaves me unsettled for the rest of the day. 
Well, I suppose he must have some fun, said my wife, with the air of trying to sum up the position impartially. Nobody flutters round him and calls him the dear vicar and embroiders awful slippers for him and gives him bed socks for Christmas. Both his wife and daughter are fed to the teeth with him. I suppose it makes him happy to feel important somewhere. All right. Well, I mean, that's... It's a fair point. That's one thing, too. It's the, in 1930, you know, a church was still very much a focal point of social life and therefore social politics Well, as well, as far as, you know, who has more power in the church body and who doesn't and goofy comings and goings is no better, really, than a civics office. And that really hasn't changed as one who still attends a church. Um, but you know, we're getting, we're starting to learn through the dialogue and a little bit of exposition again from our narrator about what's going on. And I like, you know, here I was tripping over Agatha Christie's first sentence, the, the long convoluted one on the first page. And I do like on how clearly our narrator is more aggravated. So now we are getting into short sentences. You know, like Prothero is the kind of man who enjoys making a fuss on every conceivable occasion. He made a fuss. <laughs> so I like on how, for emphasis, we get the short sentence in the midst of the longer ones. Um, now, but I'm wondering what murder is happening because we're not, not getting any murdering yet. Boo. <laughs> Um, and I know I'm almost out of time here, but I do enjoy, we have a lot of establishment. There's, there's of conflict going on and, um, our narrator has opinions. And the thing about a narrator with opinions is that you can't always trust those opinions. So we do have a narrator who could be a bit unreliable, kind of like Hastings with Poirot. I mean, a good-natured narrator, but a narrator who does get distracted by their own perspective on things. And so we are not always going to be clued in on things that, you know, may uh, lead to solving the mystery later on because our narrator is distracted by something else. Or they do notice something, but they don't understand the importance of it. Uh, for sake of time, no, I'm not going to try and like hunt through all the chapters to find when someone dies. But I do like, I was just paging and I saw the first line of chapter two. <laughs> Griselda is a very irritating woman. <laughs> I love this couple already. <laughs> and, oh my, ooh, we're going to meet a Prothero. Oh boy. Hang on. It sounds like, oh, it's the daughter of the colonel that's having problems. Okay, well, that should be interesting. So I I, I have to keep sipping from the story. Obviously, I'm giggling too much. <laughs> and, and I know part of that may just be my own experience, my own life experience growing up in church shenanigans um, and knowing that this book is almost 100 years old <laughs> and yet bits of it are so timeless with what how things go today in such an environment just it tickles me but as a writer i really appreciate the voice because that was something i was worried about as well 
that uh, you can tell when, when Christie would do a Poirot story from Captain Hastings' perspective. There is the jolly good kind of voice there, and it's very lighthearted and very dreamy romantic anytime there's a female in front of him um, and he gets distracted and things. But you could feel the character telling the story. It wasn't just Christy talking through Hastings to tell the story. It was Hastings telling the story. And I loved that. And I wonder if part of that is why I don't get so keen on the Poirot mysteries that where Hastings not in, is not in present. I mean, that's that could be a whole other thing. But there is that when the char- narrator is a character and the narrator is unique to that universe, it adds such a an extra an extra strong flavor and, and, and of escapism because we're not just being talked at we are experiencing the story. And that's what I'm feeling in these first couple pages, even though no one's died. There are no explosions. There's been no dragons or hexes or any such thing. It was a married couple talking at their table. (laughs) It's like, what was the exciting about that? But there is such a unique contrast of characters. There is such a unique approach with the way they speak to one another um that it does make you interested like how even if there wasn't a mystery i'd be wondering how on earth do these two get along in a church i don't know so there's there's that a bit of excitement there and seeing like well if they're already like this what's where does miss marple fit in and murder and whatnot so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to keep reading. I mean, granted, I'll probably have to save this. I'm hoping to do a little road trip with my family in August. So I'll probably save it for then. Because I do like reading Agatha Christie on the road. Um, I don't know what it is. It just, it feels, it feels more vacation-y when I get to read a cozy mystery on the road. But um, I'm excited. I dug this. And... I'm sure my husband's going to give me his little, I told you so type of speech. And I will see if I can pull a Griselda and darling, I'm sure you would understand that, you know, sometimes I have to approach these things in my own way. I'm sure I'll do something like that. Anyway, thank you for this very quirky, uh, podcast episode again i apologize for how it had to be broken into two bits but i have a feeling this is going to happen a lot in august because my kids are home and they don't understand you know that uh sometimes their mother doesn't need to be interrupted every 10 minutes because what was it in this case uh their breakfast wasn't to the temperature of their liking Yay, children. Okay, so I hope you all enjoy sipping from this cup when you have the chance. And uh, we will see what other brews we encounter in August. I'm, I don't know, I do have quite a few that have been recommended to me now. And my daughter's got a whole pile of books I'm supposed to be reading. So we may just do some recommendations for a while 
and will likely end up having to dedicate a chunk of fall to books Blondie wants me to look at. <laughs> so we'll we'll see how it goes. But I, I love that you are here with me. I love that I can share this cup with you and together just enjoy that love of reading. Because when a picky reader and a working writer find something worth reading, that's a special day indeed. So read on, share on, and write on, my friends. Cheers. <laughs>